Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of the TakeCast. My name is Davis Maddock. You guys can find me on Twitter at Davis Maddock. In this episode of the show, I am joined by my friend Peter Overzet. like to do this every so often just to catch up with Pete. He is, uh, you know, basically just one of my favorite guys to talk to in the world. Uh, so, you know, we kind of just recap what's going on with our summers, talking about you know, Pete's uh, venture into the world of, of being self-employed, being his own boss. Of course, lots of fantasy football chat in the second half of the show. Not not like hashtag picks, but, you know, just kind of strategy stuff, thinking about what we're going to be doing in DFS in the upcoming season and, and lots of good stuff. So I hope that you guys enjoy the show. Of course, you can also watch this on video on Peter's YouTube channel. If you want to support this show, you can subscribe on patreon.com slash takecast. And you can also just leave a rating or review on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts, and that is very helpful as well. Now let's go ahead and get into the show. All right, everyone, bringing in my buddy Pete. Uh, you also might be watching this on Peter's YouTube channel. This is uh, we do this like I don't know, like once every two months. Peter is uh, my my very good friend. I love talking to him, and and we just like to um you know, catch up. Also, we really like to tilt people when we talk about like our routines and how stressful our days of uh, talking on the internet with our friends all day is. So it's always, it's always good stuff. Pete, you're, you're fresh from vacation. Guy, guy uh, quits his job and immediately takes two vacations. Must be nice. This is no, the, Hey, look, the first, the first <laughs> vacation, uh, I still had my job. Uh, yes, but I guess it is a paradox. How do you take a vacation from the job you don't have? Well, I mean, look, what, uh, what has your, what is your routine been like? Like how much have your, has your day actually even changed from having a corporate job to, you know, being your, being your own boss? Yeah, I was, I was talking to someone about this recently. I, I definitely am working more now and it, it makes sense, right? Because when you're punching in and punching out from someone or like in a job that you don't like, you are just, or, or not love you just want to get out of there. You're filling your hours and you're going and then you're done. Now that it's completely on me to make my living, there's always stuff I feel like I should be doing. And I've noticed where I've really noticed it is from like the 5 to 7 p.m. time where like normally that's like I'm coming home, maybe I'm doing whatever, making dinner. And now it's like it spills over into that. I'm like, oh, I want to get ready for stuff tomorrow. I want to get set up. Oh, this is a loose end I need to do. And now all of a sudden I'm going working, you know, 10, 11 hour days on top of the streams at night. So it, it has been a shift, but it doesn't feel like work in that it's all fun stuff that I'm excited about. Well, yeah. And so like I have, I have like other side stuff too. And like there, there is just that feeling that you should always be working on something, right? Like they're just, there kind of is. And, and I feel like that is very much not unique even to being your own boss, but just cause there are, there are two kinds of jobs for at least like mid, like middle-class style jobs. And there is the clock in clock out job. So like nurses, right? That's a clock in clock out job. There's not, you, you leave the hospital and you're done with that. But like, you know, if you work in sales or something like that, where you have like relationships with people who are outside of your company or in jobs like that, like there's kind of always something you could be doing. Like, it, it, and um, do you ever, do you ever struggle with this where you like, um, you feel like, you know, your hours should always be productive. Like, do you like hate when you have like non-productive hours? Um, a little bit like it is much, as much as I've drafted a ton of best ball teams, uh, 
they're they've literally almost all been slow drafts or on stream like i wish if i had more free time i would just like go sit out on my porch and just bang out a draft a fast draft while chilling uh and i don't really have time to do that i don't necessarily feel guilty because it's almost like i'm squeezing things in like this morning i had like a longer leisurely morning i was telling you i re-signed up at my other gym i go to a boxing gym i've been going to that but at the gym where they have some yoga classes and they have the sauna which i've missed so much and this morning i went and i i did an hour yoga class and then did the sauna and shower and it felt like a luxuriating morning like taking that much time and then i knew i had all kinds of shit to do today but i didn't necessarily feel guilty because i was like i know i'm going to be working non-stop the rest of the day like i'm going to go enjoy this yeah so like i i have i have just gotten into like a new routine i i never thought i would be this guy but i have become 6 a.m workout guy like i'm going to the gym with a cup of coffee like like legitimately like my alarm is set at six o'clock in the morning, I get up, I let the dogs out, I give them breakfast and I go to the gym and I'm done like back down at my desk, ready to start working by like, you know, 8.30, 9 a.m. And it is like, you know, it is kind of one of those things where it feels good to be in the routine. It feels good to be sitting there and like having everything done by, you know, things I, I want to get done for myself by that time in the morning. But at the same time, I'm like, I don't... Like if I, if my day was perfect and I was structuring things, how I wanted them to be structured, I would not be going to go work out at six o'clock in the morning. You know what I mean? Yeah. I, I definitely, I don't do it a ton, but like back when I would work out a few times, like early in the morning, it, there's no better feeling than finishing that workout and just knowing you have the whole day ahead of you and you've already gotten your exercise in. It is a, a very good feeling, but man, the night before and getting up, uh, it, it sucks so much. Yeah. And, and, you know, it is like, uh, like my work day doesn't go that late a lot of the time. Like some, like sometimes I can just be clocked out and be done by three, three thirty or whatever. And, you know, you feel like you literally, like I could do whatever, or I could not do anything. I could sit on the couch and waste away and watch top chef reruns and be like, you know, that's, that's my day. Like, and, and, be, and, but still feel like overall it was a productive day. I did my job. I got my workout in and that doesn't suck either. Yeah. And I don't know about for you, but I, the more busy I am, just the more efficient and dialed in I become like today is one of my busiest days. Like I had to, I wrote the newsletter this morning. We, uh, I had a, a couple calls. We did the swole cast. We're recording this. I have lulls. I have ship chasing. Like it's just a jam packed day for me, but it makes me so efficient. Cause I'm like, this is the pocket. I know exactly what I'm going to go do when we get done with this. And where it's days where I'm like, yeah, I have the morning that I can kind of just chill. That's when I like dick around. I'm like, okay, I just spent all day on Twitter and discord and I didn't get anything done. Yeah. So do you have, like, have you become a, like, do you have like a written agenda of what you need to do during the day? Like, have you become a planner person? Yeah. We've talked about this a little bit with, I, I call it like the time blocking stuff and all of my most productive days are when I have everything time blocked. And like, it is crazy. The psychological difference of if it's on my to-do list, like write this video script or whatever, versus if I put it on my calendar from three to 4 p.m., I'm working on the video script. I won't do it if it's on my to-do list, if it's just this general right. thing. But if it's on my calendar as this is something you're doing today, I'll sit down and I'll bang it out. And it's literally the difference of moving it from my to-do list to my calendar. So like, uh, okay, another question I had, now that you are 
you're Peter Overs at the brand. You are not, you're not tied to a company. You're there. Have you started seeking out any like influencing spots? Like have you messaged or, or like talked to like, Oh yeah, you know, I would like to promote this product on Twitter or I would like to be an influencer. Cause like, you know, that is, that's a legitimate like viable stream of income for, for lots of people. And that's how people without jobs make money, you know? Yeah. I I've been very, very fortunate in that I haven't had to go out and pound the pavement for it. Um, and that I'm, I'm kind of overextended even now, I think people would say based on just like the amount I'm taking on, but it, I've been lucky that it's people that have approached me to, to work with me. Um, yeah, there are probably some spots where I should maybe see like if there's really good, um, you know, natural partnerships. But for the most part, the closest that's going to come is me like bugging Jeremy to send me his low dose tequila that I can drink on on his streams. <laughs> one of the one of the ones I was thinking about, because like I, I haven't done I haven't really done much of anything like that, but I, I want to do headspace like I, I want to do whether it would be like podcast advertisements or tweeting about it or whatever like i feel like that would be a supernatural partnership yeah. and it, and it's something i like i use headspace every day i'm on like a what however long our bed is like a 75 day straight uh, meditation way, streak i forgot to tell you i did miss a day so i'm miss a day, miss a day of reading or meditating meditating i've been well, how good did, on my how reading. did it happen on vacation it was yeah. one of our first days and I just normally I do it in the morning and I woke up hungover and no, no meditating for me. I mean, I feel like, I mean, I've not been hungover in a long time, but I feel yeah. like the, I feel like the hangover meditation, that's gotta be like very much its own thing. Like, I just gotta feel like that is not a comfortable mental spot to be in. Well, that's, that's the thing. Like, of again why it's so bad is because then it like impacts all of these other things when you're like now i just want to eat like a big gross greasy meal to like soak this up and i just want to lay around and not do anything like the domino effect of that i mean i was on vacation so it was fine but um i actually came back from vacation this normally happens to me where i'm just like all right i feel like i want to get dialed in again without uh doing much drinking and stuff i'm sure it'll change once we start like drafting on streams again a bunch but uh right now i'm, I'm feeling good uh going no alcohol yeah so the the meditation thing i have not done i have not done what you have done where well you probably have it on your time block like do you what do you have it sitting there at like 8 a.m like i go i go doing my meditation yeah, I still have like my burner phone that I wake up uh, next Amazing. to. Amazing. I, I want I want this because <laughs> burner meditation phone. I, I do because um I I and I bet everyone experiences this, like falling to sleep, like getting shitty sleep because you're just sitting there, oh I'll I'll hop in a best ball draft, I'll do a best ball mania before I go to bed. Oh, I'll get on Instagram before I go to bed. And I don't want to do those things. I wanna read and I wanna go to bed because like, I mean, there's all this science of like, don't have blue light uh, before you go to sleep. Don't have your phone in bed because it's it's like non-restful and like all of these different things. Like I I need the burner phone. Yeah, it, it no, I'm the same way. I was wrestling with that last night because what happens now, I've like now four nights in a row, Pat and I did back-to-back -back pros versus Joe stream Sunday and Monday. We did club top shot last night doing ship chasing night. Like I've been up late and so I need to wind down 
And it's a, it like tricks you because you're like, oh, I'll do something on my phone as I like cool down. But it's like, no, that's actually going to wind me up again. If I do a, you know, an underdog best ball draft at 1130 at night. So I really have to force myself to just be like no phone because yeah, I'm the same way. Then all of a sudden I'm like, well, now it's 1230 and I'm getting hungry and I want another meal I wouldn't otherwise eat. So it, it, it steamrolls out of control. Yeah. Like, I mean, I, you know, I, I feel like, uh, all of these optimization things are, you know, go, like I, I want to have all of these things optimized, but the only thing standing in the way is like my own brain. And like, I, I, I do have some of them good. Like I have not missed a day of meditation, haven't missed a day of reading. Um, my, my current battle right now is I'm, I'm in like a good spot with exercise and everything. And I, I think this is pretty common too, but like my diet is all messed up. And it's all messed up because I'm not on a diet right now. Like I'm not in a, I'm not in a weight loss bet and I'm not in anything like that. And so it's, it's sort of like, well, if I'm not on a diet, I can eat whatever I want instead of viewing it the right way, which is, you know, everything is kind of a, a, a shade of gray and every positive meal you eat, every meal that is like, you know, uh, like loaded up with protein and not high on carbohydrates, not high in sugar, not high in fat, that should be viewed as like a positive. But I, I like have like a hard time viewing it that way. And it's like either I'm eating whatever I want, whenever I want all the time, or I'm on like a super strict diet. And that's like, so it's such a backwards way to think about it. Yeah, it's so hard. I mean, I still I am not good at moderation. I'm like, that's why I think I took to intermittent fasting so much because it allowed me to live on the extremes a bit more. Uh, and I still do it like I so I I did I I didn't worry about anything on my trip. I was even I hadn't had brunch in a while. We had done that, like eating, drinking, whatever. And then the last couple of days, Saturday, Sunday, I did just like 24 hour fasts where I uh would just basically have dinner. And, but like a big dinner. So I could just eat as much as I wanted till I felt full, but like just not letting it spiral out of control where I'm eating all the time. Like I need that. Cause I, I just can't do moderation. It's so hard for me. Yeah. Uh, and you're right. It's so weird though. Like obviously my mental process should be like, Oh, like if you have a healthy meal for lunch, that's good. Like you, like the healthy meal can stand in isolation. It doesn't need to be like the next meal doesn't have to be healthy. You don't have to, you don't have to eat 1400 calories in a day. And, and then like binge the next day, you could just have a normal day. You could have 2000 calories the next day. But I, you know, it's like, it's a weird mental barrier for me to be like, okay, I'm going to eat 1850 calories every day. And then if I, if I want to have a cheat day or whatever, you know, exercise a little bit more, skip breakfast the next day, whatever. Yeah. Yeah, I uh I listened to this podcast called The Dumbbells. They're two LA comedians, but they're really into fitness and working out. And they had a guest on that talked about this like little mental hack that I think was a really good one, which was like when it's really late at night and you're wanting to eat like a, another meal or you say you've smoked and you got the munchies or whatever, if like telling yourself like, Hey, if you're still hungry, like in the morning, like go knock yourself out, go get the the bagel with the cream cheese, go get your meal. And if you wake up and you want that, like do it, like do every it. once in a while, do it. So your brain knows like that's a possibility. But for me, like nine times out of 10, I do that trick. And then I wake up in the morning. I'm like, no, I'm fine. Like I'll, I'll go to lunch. So even just like, it sounds so stupid, but sometimes those small little tricks are very helpful. Dude, that's such a good that is such a good act. You know, sometimes I kind of do that like instinctively. I'm like, you know, I am like, oh, you know, you eat dinner, have a little bit of, 
you know, whatever. Like, uh, I one one thing I do is I only buy Halo Top ice cream or like you know whatever other like non super. So it's like, look, if I'm gonna if I'm gonna be a gross fat guy after dinner and want ice cream, like at least it won't be uh you know 1400 calorie pints of Hagen dazs like at least it's like slightly better and i can eat you know i can eat a bunch of it without like truly hating myself dude i got so shamed like i went through a phase where i was digging the halo top i think some of their flavors are kind of crappy but a couple i really liked like i thought their pistachio was really good but my mother-in-law is has been she got like the most banged out ice cream machine you can get i think she got it from like europe and she's been making just incredible homemade ice cream and she basically shamed me out of eating halo she's like that stuff is inedible and like i remember what it is i mean it's not even it's it's not like the thing about it is is it's not like healthy for you it just is less calories exactly uh so yeah i i haven't gone back to the halo and that's it goes back to the other thing too where like when we're we're hanging out with them and it's like i know desserts coming and all that stuff and so i'm just like you know what i'm gonna work out during the day i'm gonna not eat lunch because it's not that hard for me to stretch toward an early dinner anyways and then i'm gonna eat as much as i want and i'm gonna have the ice cream and i'm gonna feel fine because i like i didn't overdo it during the day i just am going to enjoy the feeling of not feeling guilty eating as much as i want at that meal yeah and i mean all all of this stuff um kind of for me boils down. I just, you know, because we're doing this reading bet and I'm always looking for things to read. I've been reading some good like Eastern philosophy stuff and a couple good books on Buddhism. Yeah. And it, what it do to, it all just comes down to like controlling your own reality a little bit or, or not even controlling your own reality, but just like accepting that your brain is its own existence and that having control over that is super important. Like having control over your emotions and having control over like your desires and things like it's all super important. And so much of American society is like literally exact opposite. It's like, feed me this, give me that desiring for things you don't have. Like it's, it's all, it's all backwards, dude. It's all backwards. Yeah. And I think that idea of being like, yeah, taking ownership or being proactive and making things like I, I'm not a huge I don't love the concept of like cheat meals and stuff, but at least you're doing it like on your own agency. Like you're saying this is when I'm going to do it as opposed to just being like, man, I'm tired or I just don't want to do this. And so, well, right. it's here. I'm just going to do that. So I at least like that idea of just like being in charge of what you're doing, because then it makes you more mindful of it. Yeah, that is what I mean. Yeah, that what you just said is the key is like, uh, and it's so fascinating to me to see small tenants of like this mindfulness and wellness stuff filter itself in into like Instagram reality and like influencer culture. I bet you have noticed this stuff, but like a lot of what, you know, uh, influencer people will like a lot of their mission statements and their, you know, their, their quote unquote companies and things they sell. It kind of is filter down and watered down um like buddhist stuff like like things about like you know being centered being mindful like that's like a i mean mindful is a huge catchphrase and people don't even really think about like what it means and what what it entails but like i've always thought that's funny that the venn diagram of like buddhist teachings and instagram influencer culture have like a big overlap 
Well, it's almost like analogous to fantasy football content that does specifically player analysis. Okay, this is what you need to do to lose weight. You eat this uh, yogurt at 930 and then you do go do 20 minutes of cardio versus structural drafting or, you know, the, the more Buddhist kind of light of thinking of like, no, this is these are the structures or like the mental models you want to put in place to set you up to succeed. Because in the same way, intermittent fasting in the way I do it isn't going to work for everyone. It's the same way, like, as long as your structures are good, like you're going to succeed. It doesn't matter the details itself. Which is, and that's true in like finance too. Like people, you know, they post the technical analysis charts. Uh, we, I mean, we just had this with Bitcoin this week. Bitcoin goes back up uh, $10,000 over the course of, of seven days. And people feel the need to like reach for a reason why. Like, why did this happen? Not realizing that like, you know, there are a million in things influencing the price of a commodity at any given time. And it the details don't even really matter, but it's about, it's about zooming out and viewing like the structural reasons for anything. Like it, it, the, the idea that we have very little control of, of things external to us and that largely it's best to not worry about the, the minor things that impact anything that we're involved in like that is it's i mean it's useful in everything in my life basically yeah and i i've i've gotten a little better i still need to get even more better but i think too like the stuff with notifications and trying to turn those off like yes i'm in a, i'm on the clock in a million best ball drafts but i know the way the time works and i know that if i just do like three pick sessions a day and i've gotten even better at that because i don't get notified when i'm on the clock for every pick i just know around 11 a.m okay i need to log in before a few of these time out and like just taking control of some stuff like that and you know even though I'm writing the newsletter now and, and like you, I need to like stay up to date on all these blurbs. It's not like I need to turn on notifications for Roto World. It's like, no, I have my list and I know when I go and check it at 8 a.m., I'm just going to be able to recap the day. And like, it's okay if I miss something 15 hours ago. And I think just letting go of that need to be on, knowing like you're still going to do it. Like you're going to plug yourself into the matrix, but you're going to do it on your time. I mean, I, what you just said there too, I think is another huge key is like, just not for, for segments of your day, not being plugged into the matrix, having your phone elsewhere, which I feel like for you is so hard because like, for me, I have a hard out. Like I am, I am like done by the, by the time, like whatever DFS I'm playing for the day locks, like that's it. I'm out. I'm too, like, I, maybe, maybe I'll check Twitter or whatever, but I'm not like consciously thinking about work, but that's hard for you because you have the streams, which are like, you know, you're up at, at, you know, 1030 doing ship chasing, drinking, drinking tequila with your buddies. Yeah. No, no drinking tonight, but yeah, it, 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 it does make it, it's harder to, yeah. Like I have these gaps of time and like that, you know, between, you know, five and eight tonight, that's when I'm going to hang out with Lauren, eat dinner, probably go for a walk, you know, watch a show kind of thing. And it is like, because I think it would honestly be easier. Like you said, if I knew I had nothing, like, it's like, I'm just putting the phone away. Like my night, it's almost knowing that I have to like, come back to it. Come back. And it's also like, oh, well, you know, we're still chatting. What are we going to talk about on the show? Like if some news broke, like I'm sure that would be a topic of conversation. And so it, it's like harder. I do feel being like one foot in one foot out, just knowing I still have to come back to the matrix in a few hours. Yeah. Have you, uh, have you changed your thought at all about slow drafts versus fast drafts as we get closer to the season? Are you are you still gonna be doing doing the slow drafts, or are you gonna start 
beating in some of the faster Fs. So like in a perfect world, if I had unlimited time, I would, I would do the fast drafts. And I think I will do some more like this weekend. Uh, I think we're, we're going down to the beach and like, I'm excited to just like post up and do three or four fast drafts on the beach. But honestly, I like the slow drafts one cause they fit into my schedule. And also I like, I'm going overboard with kind of my correlation and stacking, not in the number, but I mean, just the way I'm like really thinking through it. And so I like yeah. having the time I've used the uh, analogy that it's like a chess puzzle where you see the board and then it's like, what do you do? Like, I love, like I pull up a couple of my stuff. I love staring at the board, seeing what my opponents have and like thinking through the logic puzzle of these picks in the slow drafts allow it. And it's just very fun for me to spend five minutes trying to be like, what's the best possible pick right now? Well, drafting is fun. I mean, that is what that is why underdog is successful. That is why everyone on your timeline is talking about best ball. It's not because it's like the absolute best use of money. It's not because it's the absolute best use of time. It's because drafting is is fun. It's the best. And like, I mean, I I honestly have done a very low number of slow drafts. Like I've probably done, I would guess like cumulatively this offseason, I've probably done like 20 slow drafts, but like, you know, a hundred or more fast drafts and the experience is a lot different for sure in in the fast draft the fast draft is more about like you know being kind of able to instantly figure out what correlations you need and i'm sure that i i mean i know for a fact like i've done like the oh draft chubba hubbard on a christian mccaffrey team draft Darrell williams on a ceh team that i would never do in a slow draft yeah uh for sure. I mean, there's pros and cons. Like you're way more likely to get like a sick value in a fast draft where people yes. are like just filling positional things. And you're like, holy cow, this guy dropped 25 spots. Like in a slow draft, it doesn't happen. But I do feel like my teams just naturally have to be so much better. Um, not necessarily in the context of the overall contest, but just they logically make a ton more sense than my my fast drafts. But I I have like, I chilled out. I am using like the, this couple of weeks to kind of chill out once like the puppy spray and pray ended. And I was on the clock constantly. Now I'm, I'm down to only like 10 or 15. And I, I thought you and uh, Pat made a really good point on a recent sports grid podcast about how to handle the Darrell Henderson thing. And obviously now we have the Michael Thomas stuff, but just this idea of like, only one piece of information changing or only two big pieces of information changing. And it's like, I'm going to be excited to draft once we have 20 more new big pieces of information and the whole landscape's changed. And like Pat was saying, that information advantage is now tilted back to the current drafters where now we're just in this weird limbo where yes, we can build smartly constructed teams, but it's, it's almost really hard to do so. And like, doesn't necessarily even make context if you have 150 teams in the rear view mirror. No, I mean, I would be, I think I would be shocked if like the last week of July, first week of August had the winner Yeah. because, because right. You, you have the Daryl Henderson news, you have the Michael Thomas news. And then like, we have some small stuff filtering out of camp, like some guys on, on the pup list or whatever, but it's not, uh, it's not anything large. And so I, I actually, have, I've, I've just been doing the $5 ones on drafters because I, one, I want to stay in tune with the market um, like I just, I can't imagine like having the going multiple days without a draft. I'd be like, what's everyone talking about? Like what's going on? But I do feel like now is like basically the worst time to be drafting. What is your thought? Cause there's been this whole, it almost feels like uh, the top shot conversation where they're like, we got to do marketing to bring more people in. Obviously underdog is doing a shit ton of marketing. 
But do we actually think the the casuals, the running back heavy draft rooms are coming? Or is inertia from the summer content machine going to be too strong uh, to ever let that happen? I, I feel like inertia is a super powerful force when it comes to these things. And so I feel like the people who are like chomping at the bit to draft Josh Jacobs in the third, like I feel like they're not coming. Like I feel like that is. Uh, if you want to find that guy, you got to go draft on the FFPC or the NFFC. You got to be, you got to be ponying up $1,500 to draft along guys that do there because the, the, the thing about the price points on underdog is at, you know, $5 for the puppy, $25 for BBM. It's more accessible, but what that means is it means that people who are, don't view themselves as fantasy football professionals who are you know, listen to ship chasing, listen to ETR, listen to sports grid, whatever. It's very easy for them to deposit 500 bucks, 200 bucks on underdog and just go grind some drafts and not take picks that we all laugh about. Right. Like not take David Montgomery, not take Josh Jacobs. You know, it's, it's like in in a way it's almost self-perpetuating the more that like the super grinder heavy focus fantasy football outlets are talking about, uh, you know, we're talking about these drafts. I feel like, I feel like basically what I'm saying is, is it's not coming. Yeah. And the thing is too, it's, it's when you were saying the thing about inertia being so powerful, it's not even conceptual. It's, it's literal in that the inertia of the ADP is the number staring at people in the drafts and all the drafters now are informing that ADP and just even general casuals, even if they have their guys, it's really hard for them not to be anchored to ADP. And if they see Josh Jacobs is available around and a half later, they're normally not going to feel comfortable reaching for him, even though he's their guy. So I think just the power of this really um, embedded ADP heading into August will probably keep things more similar to how they are now than having a big shift. No, I, I think you are I think you are 100% correct. The fact that the ADP has already gotten there. I mean, what what would have to happen in terms of like news or camp updates for us to move to a spot where David Montgomery would be going in the second round? What would have to happen for Miles Gaskin to see a huge jump in ADP? What would have to happen for I mean even a guy even a guy like Chase Edmonds. Like we already got the Chase Edmonds thing, right? Like that that already happened and so i feel like the fact that there already is so much information baked into these adps the the guys we see moving i don't think it's going to be structural it's going to be news related like i think the structural adp is is there to stay yeah yeah i agree yeah and and most of the movement too is going to be what picks you know 100 to 175 it's going to be the guys in all those wide receiver two wide receiver three situations like this guy's the the firm number two okay now he's gonna slide up like you could see something where like let's take the falcons we've been talking about russell gage but say it's like oh zacchaeus is just having this insane camp he's matt ryan's new favorite target alongside and it's like okay maybe we see a flippening between russell gage and like zach like that stuff will happen but like you said nothing structurally meaningfully unless we really get a charge of uh running back truthers here yeah i mean do we we can we can talk about our our favorite topic is I, I've been feeling this more and more. Is the idea that wide receivers on average are actually the safer picks that score more points? You you do the newsletter. You you get to interact with some more normie style fantasy football players. Is that idea more popular and more mainstream than ever? 
Yeah, and I think it's it's interesting because the two main places I've done drafts are underdog and FFPC, and the rooms are completely different where in how I feel about the strategies is almost completely different. Like I still feel like zero RB is the dominant strategy on underdog right now in these super heavy wide receiver draft rooms, especially when you're at the back end of the first round. Now on FFPC, my take right now is a running back tight end start is the dominant start on FFPC. And the reason for that is because the FFPC drafters continue to go to the well at running backs and they bail you out on letting you get guys like Visca in the eighth, Will Fuller in the ninth, Elijah Moore in the 10th, Bateman in the 11th. Like they, they allow you to do that. Where on underdog, you get punished if you go three to four running backs in the first five rounds. Like you are grabbing you know, the Russell gauge in round seven. Like if you, if you play chicken in those underdog rooms. So I think that just comes from being very, you know, we all love to be ideological with our draft stuff, but it really does matter on the room in the site in the format. And I really like, I, I, I do think if you can get like a Devonte Adams dig start, you know, from the turn in FFPC, like that's still really nice. But from a lot of these slots, I'm like, give me the running back, give me the tight end. Everyone in FFPC overdrafts the mid-tier tight ends and the the second tier of running backs. Let them knock themselves out, and then you scoop the wide receiver value. I feel like you can have your cake and eat it too there. Yeah, I mean, and you know what's what's odd though, and uh, I mean, I, I I love to throw people under the bus. You you know, Pete, you have you have no obligation to throw people under the bus, but I do still see a lot of very bad fantasy football analysis based on median points scored by running backs because like th- this is the most popular rebuttal to the idea of drafting wide receivers in the middle rounds over running backs just as as a blanket strategy is people will point to the 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 highest scores the absolute highest scores like the 12 highest scoring players that's more likely to be dominated by running backs at the true high end and so people will point to that and be like you know, you got to take your David Montgomery's because right. What Montgomery finished like running back four last year or something. Cause he just got so hot there at the end. And it's kind of like the ends justify the means argument where you got to You got to take some of your, you, you got to take your Deandre Swift's. You got to take your Miles Sanders is because they theoretically in a vacuum could be next year's David or this year's David Montgomery. Yeah. And I, I do think, you know, less so on FFPC, um, but more so on underdog. Like there are, I, what I love now doing, and I think a bunch of us have talked about this and, and Pat has and buying for of sticking with the same kind of structure you want to do with your single lead RB, but taking the detour in the quote unquote scary dead zone with a swift falling. Like I got, I got Chris Carson in legit the late fifth of a draft the other day. And I'm like building around him as if I got him like in the third, like I'm just building with that in mind. Uh, so I like doing that too, where it's like every one of these picks, like when you, it, the second you take a Swift, a Dobbins, a Carson, like you're praying for a top five finish from them. So why not build the rest of your team? Like they are Christian McCaffrey. Like obviously Chris Carson can't be Christian McCaffrey, but I think to build, to win a million dollars, like you kind of need to treat that pick as if he's going to be RB two on the season. Yeah. Uh, Something, something else I've been thinking about, like just in a vacuum without, you know, forgetting the way that underdog has their structured 
just if you were to build a best ball product up from from the ground up, do you prefer the 17 week cumulative scoring format to the playoff format? Like I like I I, I go back and forth on it on which one I would I would prefer. I love the cumulative scoring because there it's less noisy, right? Cumulative yeah. scoring is just a little bit less noisy. But it's a little, it's less skillful. Like if you think about it, they, this, you need to know the schedule less, stacking like matters a little bit less, those things. Like I, I, I go back and forth on what I would prefer. Yeah, it's interesting because also, I, I agree with you that it's less skillful for best ball, but it's funny though for like season long, like when you talk about rotisserie leagues, like the old school stuff, yeah. they, it's actually people view it as more skillful because there's so much randomness in the weekly head-to-heads and the head-to-head playoffs, but it's just like, who wants to play in a fantasy football home league that's rotisserie style? I, I, I have done that, by the way. I, I co-own a league with Sammy Reed where we we do that. And uh, you know you know what's actually valuable in those leagues? Nick Chubb, David <laughs> yeah. Montgomery, Josh, because they you rushing yards is its own category, right? And yeah. rushing yards are not as many points, but there are like not that many rushing yards available. Yeah. And but to answer your question, I I agree with you. I, I will say I'm having a ton of fun with the kind of game theory GPP elements of uh the schedule and the way the the three uncorrelated tournaments work, week 15, 16, and 17. And my kind of fun challenge and how I've been building my teams is like, all right, I'm not gonna sacrifice ADP, I'm not gonna reach to make this stuff happen. But I'm like basically trying to build teams that are like mini DFS teams within these playoffs with the correlation, like in the same way I would try to do a, a double stack and a bring back. Like that's how I've been enjoying building my team. So it's it's just a fun thing for me because I think it makes sense to get that extra correlation in if you're not giving up much. And the biggest benefit, and you saw my exposures that I sent you the other day, it's leading me to really natural diversification. Where if I wasn't thinking through that, I'm just like, okay, now I have 45% T Higgins. I have 50% Michael Hardman because I'm just like, that's my favorite player here. So I just, whereas now using this as a tiebreaker is forcing me into more even exposures. Yeah. What is, uh, what is, actually, wait, before we get to this, how big do you think best ball can get, right? Like the, the ESPN 10 team PPR leagues are like huge, right? Yeah. Just millions and millions of people play those. Like, do you think we will ever get to a spot where best ball is actually the more dominant form of fantasy football, that best ball ends up being like, you know, there are more large prizes there. Different companies have, you know, alter like competing formats like we have with the FFPC and the NFFC and things like that. Like, because I, I feel like from a business perspective, like it's it's a it's less customer management, like it's less maintenance, but then you also like lose the people literally being on your website every single week, which I think is a value for the FFPC and insights like that. Yeah. I mean, I think there's always gonna be that large cohort of people who play in one league, work league, friends and family league, you know, old college buddies league. And, sure. and those guys are gonna always just they're going to want to read uh, their magazines, their ESPN articles in August, do their team. And that's like the relationship they want. But I do think of all the other formats, we love Dynasty, we love DFS. I feel like best ball is the best gateway drug into getting people into more like 
fantasy football sickos like us that want to play every format and we want to play it well. Yeah. Like DFS is super fun, but it doesn't like make you want to go draft dynasty teams. Whereas like no. best ball is like the connective tissue of all of these formats. Like you roll into right after the draft with your dynasty base, wanting to go put that into practice with best ball. Now we're going into managed leagues. We're using all of these drafts to inform how we feel about these players and that. And then we're going to go into DFS. Who knows? We'll probably be making some decisions in our lineups. Well, I have 40% exposure to DJ Moore. So he maybe, better. Maybe I won't play him this week. And that I don't know. That's that's a stretch example. But I'm just saying, I think best ball is the gateway drug, and more and more people will continue to get hooked on it. It, it it's um it's the gateway drug to being like a grinder. Like it's yes. a it's a gateway drug to thinking about like exposures, right? To start to start thinking about or or even to start thinking about best ball as like uh a portion of like your overall financial portfolio, right? Like, uh, like honestly, like you got to weigh the pluses and minuses of like dumping in $5,000 in a best ball versus, you know, putting that in a Vanguard ETF. Like those are, that's like a real, con I mean, I've had to have that conversation with myself. Like, is it wise to put this much money into best ball drafts or not, you know, to, to put it away somewhere else? Yeah, no. It, and I think, I mean, we're we we're living on the extremes with it, and we like the idea, sure. of like you know, we're trying to max the puppy and stuff. But I do think even if you were more casual, like you could set aside, you know, let's just say the puppy and BBM were running, you know, all the time. Like you could set aside thirty bucks and do two drafts a week. Like and say they're slow drafts too. Like or say you want to do one fast draft puppy draft a week, and you got one uh, new best ball mania team you register for each week. Like that's that's still giving you that dopamine draft. That's the, the dopamine yeah. for a few hundred bucks. Yeah. What uh, what have you started thinking about DFS for this season and and your plan? I have. I, I kind of know what my content plan is going to be as far as playing. Um, I think I'm still going to be very single entry three max heavy for main slates. I was doing a lot of 20 max for showdown and even just thinking about the process and what I was trying to do for that. I'm like, that might be a lot again. Uh, so I might even go single entry three max for showdown slates as well. What about you? I mean, the, the original season of showdown the original way it used to work it just used to be a lot more beatable but people are much smarter about their rules now there are not like obvious spots that that get passed over anymore and like people know like oh you know don't play running backs against like anyone doing 150 entries or even 20 entries is doing like good smart rules like they are they are it's it's not uh like they're not they're not playing like People are not playing badly anymore. And I, I, I mean, like also in cash games, people are not really playing poorly anymore. So, I, I mean, I think, but would I quit playing cash games without the Gil cast? I don't think I would. I think, I think it's literally just habit at this point. Like I, I just open up DraftKings and I'm like, all right, well, it's, it's time, time to build the cash shell. I, I will say, uh, despite doing the whole bit last year, like I had a lot of fun, um, thinking through the the cash game stuff. It's, it's a great weekly exercise honestly yeah and i the thing though is I, I don't know again it goes back to me like living on the extremes and i do feel like it kind of works well with how you should be building your gpp lineups where you're not making them until like saturday evening and sunday once you have 
the most possible information. You're not getting anchored to like dumb stuff earlier in the week. Whereas you can get anchored to the dumb stuff with your cash shell throughout the week, just thinking of what's the best lineup right now, the best lineup. Okay. This shifts, whatever. And then it gives you that base on a Saturday night or Sunday to think, okay, now how do I leverage the most popular build? So I do think I kind of, I don't know, like just the whole like posting and accepting games is like vaguely exhausting to me, but I, I could see myself just doing like, all right, I'm going to play a couple, uh, a couple cash games and just have it more trick myself and be like, this is gonna be part of my GPP process as opposed to I'm going to be a cash game grinder. So the, um, the, I think the huge benefit in being a cash game grinder is, I mean, one, if you can get good action, like, I, you know, I, I, Levitan's never quit and play in cash games because he gets the softest action on DraftKings.com. But also, you know the obvious chalk spots. You, you clearly see the build that is coming to the forefront in optimizers and in people's brains. Yep. And so, like, you're like, oh, everyone's using um, a cheap tight end and this expensive running back and this cheap wide receiver this week. So then you look at, okay, what would the alternatives be to that cheap tight end. Oh, this is a good week to use Waller. This is a good week to use Kelsey. This is a good week to, uh, you know, if everyone's using, oh, Leonard Fournette's out, everyone's using Ronald Jones, even though his projection doesn't change that much. So I'm fading Ronald. I'll, I'll take the running back on the other team in my spy team or whatever. Like those are, I think, the the spots where it's it's best at. Yeah, no, that, that makes sense. And yeah, I mean, it's the same way, like the first you know, content that I did last year for DFS would be the Swolecast on Wednesdays. And that would be when, you know, it'd pull up, you know, whatever Cardi's uh, initial batch was, or, and you would have the, the daily Roto optimize. And like, that's your base thing of like, this is what we think people are going to do um, just based on what the early numbers are. And that actually is very helpful too, because then you just come towards the end of the week and it's like, everyone has talked themselves off of this thing that was there staring at us on Tuesday, but it's just not as sexy or fun as whatever flavor popped up on Friday. Dude, that is, that is actually a really big thing. Like or like week, like Wednesday chalk, when you get to Sunday morning, like not being a thing anymore, but like, Oh, the build still roughly makes sense. This game stack still, still roughly makes sense. Um, have you, have you thought any, I, I've been thinking about this a lot as we get closer to the season, <clears throat> obviously last year, it was big on the double stack with the double bring back. Like, you know, buying four was talking about it. We talked about it on the swole cast. And I, I still am trying to think through like how much that makes sense for like, is that super ideal for like the lottos or is the fact that, you know, like in the spy, I forget what they call the $50 single entry, red um, the red zone. Yeah. Like, because actually like an 80th percentile outcome is, is good to enough to win that sometimes, obviously not, you know, sometimes someone will spike the total nuts in that, in that format. But I, I feel like maybe all that emphasis on like super stacking actually is maybe not optimal for the lottos. Yeah. Like the Millie maker or whatever, but maybe actually is more optimal for a 900 person, $50 single entry contest where you know, uh, 180 points or whatever can get it done. Yeah, for sure. That's how we were approaching, like for our tilt space lineups last year, we were playing even the, the smaller entries than the spy that were often in the like 200 to 500. And we, and yeah, we were overstacking those 
big time. Yeah. I mean, it makes sense, right? I mean, the whole thing we always say about stacking, it eliminates the number of things you have to get right. You need to get more things right in a super large field tournament. Um, and you need to get ceilings from more of those spots. Uh, whereas we can get by when we toss in Adam Troutman, you know, in, in a double stack and he gives us a zero or whatever, because, oh, at least it got us on Michael Thomas when he went off for 45 points. Yeah. I mean, my, it's so funny. I was talking with Sammy and Nate about, you know, what, what are we going to do with the show? Is the guild cast going to be, is the guild cast going to be a cash show? Like, what are we going to do? And we were talking about, well, you know, it's a real possibility. We go through a 17 week season and we have zero winning weeks if we do that. And I was thinking about it and I was like, if Jarvis Landry doesn't throw a flea flicker touchdown to Odell Beckham, I don't even have a profitable 2021 in GBPs, but I, I won $30,000 that week because my team was the nuts and I had it in, I had it in like, that was my main GBP team, but those are how thin the margins are, but I never would have been on that without the, the DAC double stack with the double bring back. This is what I think you guys should do for the best content. You absolutely need to keep the cash game in your, yeah, your it's, it, it, it can't go anywhere. It, it can't go anywhere, but, I think what you do is you add, like you guys all decide on the red zone or the spy that you guys all put it in the same contest, your single entry, your main tournament team. And then you guys can roast each other for how bad you guys finish. And you could keep like a tally of who has the best ROI. The tally would be good. Yeah. Yeah. And, and then it would be funny too, because like if one of you were really buried uh, early on, cause one of you guys binked or got top 10 or whatever, then the others are kind of like pressing and you could even have like yes. a side bet on like the ROI. Like, you know, you guys do a $500 side bet, whoever finishes best in the spy throughout the whole season. Like, I think there's some fun stuff that would add like a level of gamesmanship to it beyond just like, well, it was a GPP lineup. Who cares? I feel like, I feel like uh, Nate is going to have a hard time transitioning from, from like Whopper thought to like, and I know he's like Sammy and Nate have both played tournaments a little bit like, you know, as much as anyone else in the past, but like listening to Nate make his GPP reasoning, I'm like really looking forward to how special that's going to be. Yeah. The thing is, is it's like for single entry, it's not that hard to make like smart tournament teams that are still vaguely chalky, right? Like it's like you, yeah. you, you literally have like your double stack with the bring back and you switch your 40% owned running back to the like 5% owned Aaron Jones or Joe Mixon instead. And then boom, yeah, you, you, have you a swap. Team. Yeah. You swap Dalvin cook for Aaron Jones and call it a day. Yeah. So I know in the same way, I think, like you said, going from GPP to cash, it's not like a huge shift because you already know the chalk plays that you're pivoting off of. I think it goes both ways that it's not, it's not too hard. No. Um, dude, I, I've been listening to ship chasing. I feel so bad for Ben Gretsch right now to be landed in the state of Washington. And everyone is just in the midst of best ball summer, losing their minds. Like, like all we can think about is our drafts and our exposure and everything. And Gretsch is just there. Like what? I, I know he, he, he's doing a good job and he'll, he'll be co-managing, uh, multiple of our main event teams with us. So he'll get in the fix, but yeah, man, I can't, Imagine I was, I just, uh, I was talking to uh cooter doodle who lives in Louisiana. Can't play underdog. Can't play DFS there. Either. Yeah, like, that's right. Just yeah. uh, like, I can't, at least if it was one or the other. And I guess, I guess Washington is, is the same, the state of Washington. It, that it's, it's brutal. Yeah. Um, what is it, what has it been like, um, 
setting up all of these tournaments with with ship chasers like is it has it been amazing like are you super stoked like what what's the waiver plan with all of these teams are you gonna leave the the waivers for the given team up to like the, the that specific co-owner like what's your plan with waivers yeah well for it has been super fun because well, one, we're all generally on the same page. Like if you're a hardcore ship chaser, like you generally are going to think about fantasy football like us. That doesn't mean that there aren't little, um, uh, you know, detours within that. Like it was so funny because we have this guy, Matt uh, Gorman, who we're doing a slow draft with right now. And we ended up taking, we reached and grabbed Steph Diggs at, I think it was 104 after uh, Kelsey and the two running backs were off the board. And Silas, uh, another friend, is going to be co-managing a team with Matt and us that we're going to do later in the season. And he immediately messages us because he's like, I know I'm drafting with you three. What the hell is going on? I don't know if I necessarily want to take Steph Diggs. And we're like, don't worry about it. Like, this is this team. Matt wanted to make this move. So it has been fun kind of like navigating. But it goes back to this thing, right? The player analysis, like we all have our guys we like. But if we're going to build smart structures, if you love ETN or Javante Williams, we can take a detour for them in the fifth. Like we're going to make that team work in a smart way. And so that's what's been been fun for me. Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's very cool. How amazing is it going to be to have a ship chaser being the main event like that? You want it, zero RB will be the strat like like the, the whole idea of oh, your running backs never won the main event you can't win the main event with zero RP like that. Like, and it would just be next summer will be the most amazing draft summer of all time. If a ship chaser ships the main event. Oh yeah, it would, uh, it would be glorious. I mean, Sean and Blair had an, a sick run at it last year. I think they finished top 25 with that team where they're right. They just needed home. James. They just needed James Robinson. They were so close. Um, yeah. And I, I think again, it goes back to that thing with main event drafts. Um, I think you can, uh, that running, like Pat and I, in our first one, we started, uh, Kittle and Gibson. And then I think we took eight straight wide receivers, um, which, and Sean's talked about this too. Like that has way more, um, overlap with kind of like the zero RB, you know, thesis than taking four wide receivers and then drafting a bunch of running backs and tight ends and quarterbacks, because the whole point is to be so robust at wide receiver and giving you enough shots at guys who could realistically finish top 15 at the position. And so that's why I think FFPC right now is kind of bailing out the zero RB guys to kind of like lose just a little bit of value early on taking suboptimal picks, but then just being able to clobber people in the middle rounds who want to continue to kind of make the mistakes on those bad bets. Yeah, it's going to be, it's going to be a good season. Uh, I have never drafted more best ball teams. Um, and I'm hoping I what what I am hoping is that uh, I get some of this sickness out of my system now of like because when you kind of think about it, we get to the season and yeah we have DFS and yeah we have waivers and we have setting lineups, but like I'm actually putting in so much time drafting that like I feel like actually I'll have time free up once the season starts. Is like at least that's what I'm telling myself right now, dude. I I literally had the same thought either today or yesterday where I was like, I'm kind of looking forward to the rhythm of the DFS schedule because you just know, you know, your schedule. And whereas right now it there, it feels like there's always a best ball draft you could be doing. Whereas like the equivalent of that in season is just like fiddling around with your cash shell, which like isn't as big of a time suck. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, I like, I could even get 
can even be a little bit more efficient with that and just be like, look, I'm waking up on Sunday morning and I'm going to, I'm going to figure it out then. And I, I actually, um, well, I'll be doing TV on, on Sunday morning this year, which is, will be interesting. So I'm, I'm not doing, um, this will be the first time that I don't have written content during the year. It's just all going to be audio and video. And I, I feel like that actually is going to be big for me because a lot of the time I would get writing done doing other stuff, right? Like I would be, you know, like, or, or just in between things and doing it quickly. And so I, I am stoked to have a season without, uh, I mean, I'm sure I'll, I'll get some written stuff out there, but like right now, nothing is on the schedule and I'm, I'm stoked for that. Yeah. That's, that's how I used to be. Like before I started writing the newsletter, I was just exclusively video and podcasting because I, I wrote all the time for my job. And I was like, I, I kind of want to break for that. Now I really enjoy writing uh, the newsletter, but it is like a balance. Um, the newsletter is a little different than having to come up with kind of like unique longer form, like strategy stuff where that stuff just doesn't come out of thin air. Yeah. And I mean, I just wrote DFS content every slate for, I don't know, like eight years or something at this point. And like, I don't, maybe I'll like week one will come around and it'll be like, Oh, no, no automatic absolutes this week, but like, it'll probably be okay. Like the world will probably go on without my written DFS content. I mean, but it, the way people consume stuff now, and I, I know people still have their, what they prefer, but like say sure. automatic absolutes, like that could be a 10 minute podcast and a 10 minute video, like pretty easily too. Yeah. Maybe I'll, maybe I'll, uh, I'll pitch that to them. I, I like, I like that idea. I mean, and, and yeah, I mean, there are, as we continue to move into more internet brain broken people, there's going to be more stuff like that. And there will be less of a market for, you know, just like stone written articles, basically. Yeah. Well, what is it? It's a uh, uh, beers makers his like five pack that like crushes like that. Yeah. Content stuff like people love that, especially if it has like a good name brand associated with it. Yeah. Have you gotten, uh, have you gotten, how deep have you gotten in the SEO weeds on YouTube? Like how much are you trying to gamify your stuff on, on YouTube now? I'm in deep. Yeah. I'm in deep with it. Um, and I'm starting, I'm now making some videos with ETR, helping them out a little bit with their video strategy. So yeah, I mean now that like, you know, YouTube ad revenue and my YouTube doing well in like almost over half of like my income this year will probably come from my YouTube sponsorships. So it's yeah. like something that I need to constantly be getting better at and doing successfully if I want to continue to have those revenue streams. Yeah. Which, and, and, uh, you know, the people who do well on YouTube, it's not necessarily like, I mean, it's just straight up not the people who make like the best and most amazing content, what regard fantasy, whatever it is, right. right graphics are a huge part of it. Like th I'm sure, you, I mean, you know, all these things like thumbnails are a big part of it which I think you should just have Corrine make all the thumbnails for, for the rest of the time. So bad when he, he makes it, he literally sent me a message on when I was on my trip and he's like, he's like, what, what software do you use to make a uh, thumbnail? I was like, Pat, you're not buying Photoshop to make one thumb thumbnail. So just, just figure it just, out. Just make it out. <laughs> just, just let it happen. Are you, are you glad? Are you glad that's where you guys arrived at? No, I love I love it as like a once or twice a year tradition of making uh Karane do the thumbnail. We have we have a good uh working relationship on the production side. I I do the thumbnails and the YouTube stuff. He handles all the audio uh production and uploading. So it, it works out. 
what's the deal with his internet? Why can't we get him better? Or do they just not have good internet in uh, his neck of the woods in New York or what? I'm, I'm not, I honestly don't know. I, because I think he, he's, it's been like different excuses uh, where initially it was, he needed to get new internet. So he did that. Then it was Murphy. His new puppy was like chewing through the ethernet cable. And I'm not sure what the current excuse is these days. Yeah, it's like it's like trying to keep up with Kitchen and his internet. Like, who knows? Like, what? I, although he did just make it through his full cast unimpeded. Yeah, that was actually. I was just gonna say he's he's doing pretty well. I like. I had a whole issue too, where like I do so much stuff on Streamyard, and back in March I was having stuff, and I'm still convinced it's a Streamyard like software issue because uh, I haven't had it lately, and nothing with my setup has changed. But man when you stream and make as much content as us, like even just the littlest connectivity issue so is tilting. so tilting. It's awful. Yeah. Unbelievable. Uh, all right, dude, everything that, I mean, obviously people need, I've been, uh, I had a great time watching your guys' pros versus Joe's draft, especially the one I was in with Pat where you guys were making the picks for me. I had a great idea for a bit actually that the three of us should do next year. Or, or maybe it's sometime this year, we should draft a team for the other person. Like, I should do a draft as Pat. You should do a draft as me. And he should yeah. do a draft as you in some combination of those things. Mm -hmm. And we try and draft as much as possible like the other person. Let's, let's yeah, we should do that. We should just, like, I could create even just, like, a 12-person underdog. underdog and we, yeah. could do, we could do a stream the three and we'll just invite random other people to hop in. And then we each maybe before we like spin the wheel to see which one of us is being the other person. Yes. Uh, oh, it would be so good. There would be golden. I love that idea. All right. We'll, we'll make that happen. Uh, we can stream that draft. We'll, we'll pick like a random afternoon or something to do it. Okay. Yes. Oh, that is good. <laughs> that is going to be golden content. I just, it, it, I, ha I had that idea watching the draft as you guys were like, well, uh, he's taking CD here. All right. Yep. He's taking DJ more. Like it was just so obvious. And then what we do is we post the draft board FFPC style with the names cropped out and then have Wait, people who vote. Picked who? And yeah. whoever got the most, it's almost like, have you ever played Balderdash? No. Mm -mm. Okay. It's a, it's just a fun game where you like get a random word or something. And then everyone writes their own definitions of it. And then you're trying to like get the other people to guess your fake definition. So we will try to see who can, get the most votes uh, convinced that like, if I get a bunch of, if I get your name and then everyone says, Oh, that's Davis's team. Uh, then, then I would win under that. Yeah. That's so good. Yeah. I, I will have to. Yeah. I, you, you will be harder to draft for of the three of us. You will be the hardest to mimic because you are, you're, you're just a value-based drafter, dude. No, you're don't be a value-based drafter. You are, you are much more player agnostic than, yes. Pat and I like Pat and I have like guys you you have far less guys it's it it really I don't know if like DFS ruined me or whatever but even like in the discord where people are like arguing like you can't take Jonathan Taylor there over this guy and I'm like I don't know they're both 50 50 take whichever one you want and don't get overexposed yeah. too much to the other like that I feel that way about so many player situations yeah uh and then yeah so I you have you have the whole 
stream schedule in your Discord. Your Discord is pretty impressive. It's a whole thing. I'm glad. I'm glad I got in there. I'm glad you're in there too. I know you were holding out because you didn't want to add another kind of Discord. And, and it has been a time suck. So I was right about it. It has been. It has been a distraction. So I was right to. I was right to know that I, about well, myself. I, it started because I manually added you to ship chasing, which is otherwise you got to be the the VIP sub. But I gave you the influencer access. But then I'll notice you in the regular best ball, and then I'll notice you in the in the crypto one. I'm like, uh oh, Davis is now starting to make the rounds. Yeah, because I because freaking Chris G Chris G is a, a XRP. an XRP tout, and I'm like, I can't like I can't stand by and let people shill ripple. Chris G, one of the best best ball players out there. Such and a grinder. Incredibly yeah. sharp, a huge grinder, plays FFPC, super sharp, loves Ripple. I don't understand it. Loves Ripple. <laughs> Love. He's touting me transaction speeds, and I'm like, bro, you don't get the show. <laughs> <laughs> All right, everyone, obviously, follow Pete. If you were listening to this on Peter's YouTube channel, uh, follow me, and uh, I'm sure Pete and I will be back soon. And the Swolecast is going weekly, so you'll get more of this hilarious light and playful banter there every single week as well. All right, peace.